This is the On The Banks podcast. Follow us on Twitter at OTB underscore SB Nation. Now, here's your host, Lance Glenn. Hello, everyone. I am, of course, your host, Lance Glenn, and this is episode 11 of the On The Banks podcast, our week two Rutgers football preview. If you don't already, you can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore G11, and you can follow On The Banks on Twitter as well at OTB underscore SB Nation. If you want to listen to any of our previous episodes, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. Just search On The Banks Podcast. You can find us on SoundCloud. Just search OTB underscore SB Nation. And of course, you can find all of our previous episodes at OnTheBanks.com. With football season underway, field hockey, men's and women's soccer, make sure to go to On The Banks for all your coverage. Just click to OnTheBanks.com. I'll be joined by two guests for this episode. First, NJ.com's Keith Sargent to break down the Scarlet Knights, and then after Buckeye Sports Bolton's Garrett Stepien to break down Ohio State. But first, I want to talk about two takeaways I had from Rutgers' 35-7 win over Texas State. First, the running backs really took over the game. You know, the trio of Blackshear, John Hillman, and Isaiah Pacheco, they rushed for 198 yards and three touchdowns, and I think this game really showed just how well Blackshear and Hillman balance each other out. You know, Blackshear, a smaller, shiftier back, while Hillman really asserted himself as a short yardage down by the goal line tough runner and showed it. I think he pushed, as with help of the offensive line, about 15 uh, uh, players himself, a couple from Rutgers, and basically the entire Texas State defense across the goal line for one of his first couple touchdowns. You know, this stable of backs, it will be relied upon heavily this season, and I think they showed just how high their potential could be in the first game against Texas State. Second, you know, the defensive line, in my eyes, was impressive at times in getting to the quarterback and stopping the run. Alorm Loomer specifically, and he was named defensive player of the game, was quite a force, and it seemed like he was getting consistent pressure on Texas State quarterback Willie Jones. This is a unit that many labeled as the biggest question mark this season, this season and, and rightfully so. Gone are Sebastian Joseph and Kamoko Ture, and in are younger, less experienced guys who played their first college games last Saturday. But Kevin Wilkins, Julius Turner, John Badicki, Lorm Loomer, they have experience. And if those young guys who played their first game on Saturday, if they can step up and the Scarlet Knights can get pressure on the opposing quarterbacks like they did against Texas State, this D-line could change the question mark narrative really quickly. Looking towards Week 2 at Ohio State, the key to this game is just to compete. Do what you can to keep this game close and prove yourself to be progressing against the upper echelon of the Big Ten. I think that's really the key for Rutgers, not only in this game, but the games later in the season when they really play the big boys in the Big Ten. You know, the Buckeyes put a beating on Oregon State a week ago and have over the last few years done the same to Rutgers. Keeping the game competitive in the second half, I think, will go a long way for the Scarlet Knights. It'll show the progress this team has made over the last few seasons and will provide an incredible sense of of optimism, in my eyes at least, for the program and its fans as we look ahead to the rest of this season. Now, let's talk to the reporters. Here's your host. Lance Glenn. Rutgers is coming off a 35-7 to win over Texas State, and to talk about that game and this Saturday's game against Ohio State, I am now pleased to be joined by Rutgers football beat writer for NJ.com, Keith Sargent. Keith, thanks so much for giving some time and coming on the On the Banks podcast. No problem. Good to, good to be here, Lance. So let's start with the true freshman at quarterback, Art Sitkowski, and his play. You know, 20 for 30, over 200 yards, one touchdown, three picks. Just what was your general impression of him, you know, how he played, of course, you know, against the weaker opponent, but how do you think he performed throughout the game? Yeah, I think he was pretty good. Um, Solid first game. You have to remember he's a freshman. Um, I think there was a couple of things that maybe the average fan wouldn't really pick up. 
uh, John McNulty uh, alluded to it on Monday. It was just the way they operated the offense. And when you see a freshman, or really any quarterback, you know, in game one, but, you know, a freshman in particular, sometimes you can see some delay game calls, you know, some false starts, some alignment issues. And really, uh, Rutgers didn't have anything like that. They, uh, you know, played a pretty clean game from that perspective. So, you know, that is a little surprising. And, you know, credit to certainly Sikowski and, you know, just the way he was prepared. Um, the other thing is, I, you know, I, I know fans are going to harp on the uh, three interceptions, and, and rightly so, and maybe he could have had you know one or two more. So, you know, it's possible he could have had five in the game. But um, for the most part, he was consistent. I mean, he, he was uh, accurate. I mean, when you look at, you know, uh, 20 for 30 passing, uh, a lot of it was the way the game plan was, was, was tailored and, and, you know, a lot of short passes. And But he was, you know, he was accurate with those. Um, I think it was a good start overall. And I think, you know, John McNulty, right, he did a good job of putting Art in positions to be successful. You know, didn't ask him to do too much. You know, they had the running game going early and often. Do you see that, you know, as the season progresses, being the same game plan going forward, you know, making sure that Art doesn't have to throw uh, too much, you know, doesn't have too much thrown at him, you know, just making sure that he's always in a position to succeed and and play at his best? Absolutely. I I think, uh, you know, we've talked to uh, McNulty a couple times during the – you know, during the summer, it was kind of played out the way the way I thought he was going to. I think he uh, called a game plan that you know protected Art in some ways. Um, and what I mean by that is, you know, he didn't really ask him to do too much. Uh, you know, uh, take take shots down the field. Um, I think um, you're, he's talked about it many times. The only way his pro style offense, which basically means you know play action, the quarterback is going to do a lot of play action. The only way that's going to be effective is if they establish a run. Uh, for the last two years, uh, while the rushing numbers haven't been terrible, they no one can say that they you know they were a good rushing team. Uh, for Rutgers to have any success offensively this year, they're going to have to be able to run the ball, and I think they were pretty effective for the most part. And, you know, the game really displayed just how much of a focal point Raheem Blackshear will be in this offense. You know, I believe I think over 20 touches when you account special teams into that as well. I guess what was your biggest takeaway for how he was used both on the ground and in the passing game? Yeah, I mean, I think, uh, you know, Chris Ash uh, said it today in the Big Ten Conference calls, but he, he, he said, uh, compared to him, Curtis Samuel. And I think, you know, with Ohio State coming, uh, you know, with Rutgers playing Ohio State this week, fans who remember uh, Curtis Samuel, I think it's a really good comparison. A guy who pretty much can line up in, in a multitude of, of, of positions, whether it's running back, wing back, wide receiver, um, you know, you put him, you know, bring him out of, out of the slot even. I mean, there, there's so many different ways. I think they, they did that for the most part. 22 ca- uh, touches, I think that's pretty much what McNulty uh, wants, you know, to, to, to get. He, he called him his best player. And, uh, you know, for, for you know any offensive coordinator, they're going to try to get the, the ball uh, to, to their best player. And McNulty has made no secret that, that he's going to uh, try to do that. And, you know, with, with the rushing game overall, right, we talked about all the touches that, that Blackshear got. Hillman you know, short yardage, I think he ended up having two uh, two touchdowns. Pacheco ended up being the running back with the most yards at the end of the day. With all three of them specifically, you know, how dangerous do you think this rushing game could be, and how well do they all balance each other out with, you know, Blackshear being more shiftier, uh, Hillman being more of a ground-and-pound type of running back, and then and Pacheco being a little bit of both? Yeah, I think you nailed it. I think they, they all feature a little bit uh, different skill set. I think uh, Blackshear, speedy, shifty, can line him up at different spots, like I said. Hilleman is going to be the type of guy who's going to grind it out, and uh, if you need a couple yards, uh, he's going to be 
I would think that he's going to uh, get a lot more touches, uh, near, you know, short yardage uh, situations. He, he doesn't fool around, doesn't dance. He's just, you know, he's going to get you what, what, what he gets here. Might not have that breakaway speed, but, you know, you're going to, to, to be productive. And then Pacheco, you know, he did end up uh, with the most yards rushing in, in, in the opener. A lot of it was in the fourth quarter, uh, you know, proverbial garbage time. But that being said, I mean, if you look at some of his runs, I mean, he's knocking guys over with a stiff arm. I mean, he was productive. So I'd be interested to see if he, he gets a little bit more of the, the pie. And then I wouldn't also uh, discount uh, Trey Sneed. I know, I know uh, it's difficult to get four running backs, uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, into the uh, game plan. But, you know, he's been productive, you know, throughout, he was productive throughout training camp. I wouldn't uh, discount him you know, at some point uh, this year as making a uh, contribution. Let's switch it over defensively, right? And Elorm Loomer really emerged on that defensive line, a group that obviously has questions with depth and experience coming into the season. Does their performance, and not only Loomer, you know, Mike Tverdov had a good game as well, Kevin Wilkins, Julius Turner, does their performance uh, lead you to believe that maybe this unit could kind of exceed expectations and that these young guys could mature a little bit quicker than maybe expected? A little bit too early to tell. I mean, you're going to have to, you know, take the opener with a grain of salt in some ways. You know, with Texas State, you know, they're not exactly a Big Ten caliber offensive line. Uh, that being said, I mean, it, it was a focal point throughout training camp. Uh, you know, Chris Ash, you know, left, you know, pretty much, you know, made no secret that he was concerned about the depth, uh, you know, up front. Uh, you're right. Uh, Lamore had a really, really uh, good game, uh, very productive. Good to see because, you know, he was. I think he was uh, Chris Ash's first recruit, believe it or not. You know, when, when Chris Ash first arrived, you know, he's from Piscataway, local kid. Um, and, you know, can he make the type of impact that Kamoko Ture uh, made a year ago? Maybe a little bit too early to tell, but, you know, he's obviously off to a good start. The other thing I would say is, you know, a lot of with the, the way that records plays their defense line, a lot of the success that uh, Lamore has or, or, you know, or, or uh, you know, uh, Kevin Wilkins, you, you, you mentioned, uh, can also be tied to a guy like uh, John Badicky, who um, really played a really good game. If you look back on the film, um, a lot of the uh, you know the the the, the way uh, that he, I mean, he would take up uh, sometimes two, even three, uh, you know, offensive linemen uh, with the push that he got, and and in a lot of ways, I was um, Lamore benefited from it. With the positives of the game, obviously, come the negatives as well. You know, the team, look, committed too many unnecessary penalties, and, and that resulted in Texas State keeping drives alive. Chris Ash, you know, he's a no-nonsense type of coach. Do you think that the unnecessary penalties were just kind of a case of it being the first game and players still getting adjusted to game speed? I think part of it is, you know, being game one. I mean, when, when you're talking about, you know, and you see it all around the country. I watch a lot of uh, college football uh, this past weekend. You see it, you know, in, in, in a lot of instances – and then I guess part of it would be that you know they're a relatively young team too. So I mean I think you know you factor those two uh, two things together. And I think you know it wasn't a, a total surprise. You know, in a blowout game like this against the weaker opponent, your biggest hope is that your team ultimately comes away healthy. You know, Kai Hester, sure. bless Austin, Taiwan Mason, all were banged up during the game, and, and of course Trey Avery uh, was held out. How serious are the injuries for these players? You know, should fans be worried about you know long term effects and any of these guys missing the game on Saturday and beyond? Yeah, I mean, Mason, um, Chris Ash has already said it's going to be a long-term. Um, I think the word that they used was a fracture. So uh, I wouldn't expect him uh, anytime soon. Um, beyond that, I don't think there was a whole lot of um, concern long-term with any of the guys that you mentioned. Austin you know, and Hester you know, are probably the, 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 uh, the two key cogs 
you know, that, that, that you know, went down. Um, but that being said, I think what the interesting thing is, look, I mean, you know, we'll get to Ohio State in a second. You know, they, they are a prohibitive underdog in this game. Um, if those guys are, are, you know, questionable or even probable, you know, does Chris Ash hold him out? Um, you know, maybe the, the, the competitor in him uh, wouldn't want to, but you have to be smart. So, um, you know, it'll be uh, interesting to see, you know, how that develops uh, throughout the week as, as of now. Um, I think, you know, questionable to probable would be would be the best praise on, on Austin and Hester. You know, looking at this Saturday's game now, switching it to Ohio State, the forecast right now is calling for rain and potentially a lot of it. You know, if that does come to fruition, you'd think that really it could only help Rutgers against the Buckeye team that, you know, threw for 350 yards last year. I think Dwayne, uh, last week, excuse me, I think Dwayne Haskins had five touchdowns, put up 70-plus points. You know, I think the rain, if anything, in that bad weather could could really only benefit Rutgers now. No, nah, I mean, here's the thing. Um, rain, uh, if you talk to most uh, coaches, they would say the rain isn't as big of a concern as wind. So, I mean, you know, you're, you're right. Tropical storm, maybe, you know, there's going to be some wind. I have to uh, look at the forecast as we get a little bit closer. But, you know, if anything, sometimes rain could benefit the offensive team because the off, the, the wide receivers, uh, they know where they're going. You know, they know where they're going on, on pass drafts, whereas defensive backs are, you know, are cutting and trying to keep up. So um, I think the, you know, you're, I mean, you're right from, from the standpoint that, you know, maybe maybe a quarterback is, is going to have you know a little bit more trouble gripping the ball, but quarterbacks are, are just so so much more prepared than they used to be. So um, the wind could be a factor, um, and certainly you're you're right. Ohio State when you know, when the quarterback threw for 300 yards, so you know that was eye popping. But yeah, I think uh, a little bit too early to tell whether or not the wind could you know benefit Rutgers. You know, I think a big storyline going into the game on Saturday is the chess match between Greg Schiano and John McNulty. You know, both these men obviously know each other very well. McNulty worked under Schiano at Rutgers and in Tampa Bay. Do you foresee McNulty, I guess, kind of manipulating the game plan in any way to counter what Schiano does defensively because he knows him so well? You know, how do you see the game within the game kind of playing out? Yeah, it's a great question, and I'm very intrigued by it as well. I asked a couple questions about it on Monday. Um, I think Rutgers is going to do what they do. I think John McNulty, you know, kind of, especially with a young quarterback, I think, you know, they've, they've spent the last, uh, you know, six months uh, getting Sikowski prepared and comfortable with the offensive system. I don't think he's going to try to reinvent the wheel and, and try to say, you know what, Greg knows that, that I, you know, I, I, I prefer this on third down or whatever. I think he's just going to, you know, run the offense that he wants to do. And, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, even, you know, McNulty uh, said it yesterday, you know, it's going to come down to players. And, you know, Ohio State, you know, Greg has better chess pieces, so to speak. Um, so I, it'll be interesting, you know, and, and I think from the standpoint that both uh, coaches really, really do respect each other. But at the end of the day, I mean, Ohio State just has better defensive players than, than Rutgers has offensive players. And I guess, you know, looking at the Rutgers offense, and of course, you know, you mentioned it, they're, they're big underdogs, obviously, going into Saturday. But for this offense to have any success, and over the last couple of years, the offense hasn't had any uh, against Ohio State, but for it to, you know, potentially put up points, what are, are the keys? You know, what does Rutgers have to do? What do they have to make sure they, they focus on in order to at least get a touchdown up on the board? Yeah, um, I think it, uh, probably a couple of keys would be, one, um, you, can't, you can't turn the ball over the, the way they did. Um, that's going to, to, you know, against a team like Ohio State, that's going to cost them. I mean, it didn't really uh, have much of an impact. It did, obviously, in the pick six, but for the most part, they still won the game going away. 
uh, Stokowski, if he has three inter- interceptions, that's going to be really bad. The other thing is, and you know, we kind of talked about during the summer, um, and John McNulty even said, like, it's not, you know, a winning formula to be able to 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 have these sustained drives. I mean, you want them, sure, but you know, the the, the deeper a drive goes, the more more of there you know, could be, you know, some sort of you know, not being able to convert on third down or a fumble, a turnover, anything can happen. You need some big plays, and Rutgers didn't have any. Um, Ohio State's opponent this past week, you know, did. I mean, Oregon, Oregon State, you know, they scored 31 points. Most of it was done on big plays. So I think uh, getting some big plays, one, and then two would be, you know, cutting down on the turnovers because, uh, you know, three interceptions would be killer. One more before we let you go. You know, I just mentioned it. Rutgers hasn't scored in Ohio, on Ohio State in the past two seasons. Not many, and if really any, think Rutgers is going to go to Columbus and and keep the game competitive, much less win. But you know how important is it for Rutgers in, in their progress and to show that you know they could be consistently one of the middle of the pack teams in the Big Ten. How important is it for them to to go to Columbus and at least keep the game competitive? You know, maybe score ten or thirteen points and make sure that at least going into the second half, the game is competitive and that it still is a game. Uh, it's a great question, and you know, I think one of the keys. To the season overall is not only win the games that they're supposed to win, but also not not have those 59 nothing not not have those games where you look at the the uh, scroll on on ESPN and be like whoa you know like the the you know, we've all seen them so you know from a confidence morale standpoint I don't know if the you know any of the players on a team would would, would be able to stomach a 30 point loss as, as opposed to a 50 point loss I think a loss is a loss but from a just an overall uh, brand, uh, brand standpoint, um, you know, maybe even recruiting, you know, I mean, recruits, you know, certainly would be looking at um, maybe a, you know, a four touchdown game um, differently than, you know, a 50 point loss. Uh, so maybe it would be important from a recruiting standpoint, but I kind of make, I, I think uh, people make up uh, too much of it. I think a loss is a loss for the most part, but you certainly don't want like a Michigan type, you know, 80 point loss. You can follow him on Twitter at K Sergeant. And Jay, Keith, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks so much for giving us your time on the On the Banks podcast. Anytime, Lance. Like Rutgers, Ohio State is coming off a win. They beat Oregon State 77-31 to on Saturday. To talk about that game and this Saturday's game, I am now pleased to be joined by Ohio State beat writer for Buckeye Sports Bolton and Rutgers alum, Garrett And Garrett, thanks so much for coming on the On the Banks podcast. Thanks for having me on. Get back to the the Rutgers roots and especially on the banks.com, which I wrote about uh, Rutgers a few years ago. So it's uh, it's good to be back in a way. And I, I was going to mention, you know, this has got to be a fun week for you. You know, you cover Ohio State now, but you went to Rutgers. You were the sports editor for the Targum. You you wrote for on the banks. It's got to be fun. I'm sure when your alma mater comes to the horseshoe. Yeah, yeah, it definitely is. And I think it'll also be a little more interesting to see how much more competitive they are, you know, after covering the team in 2016, Ash's first year, and then obviously covering the team while I was at the Targum in 2015 in Cal Floods last year. It'll be interesting to see how much he's really, you know, kind of turned around the program and, and especially a year like this one where all eyes are on him and seeing how much more uh, of an impact he can make. Let's look at coaching first for the Buckeyes. You know, is it safe to say after putting up 77 points that the Urban Meyer suspension isn't really affecting the team on the field? Yeah, yeah, I think it's fair to say that. And I think a lot of people around here thought that going into the season. I mean, you look at the first three games and, I mean, to be honest, Oregon State, Rutgers, 
and TCU, two of those first three are pretty inferior opponents when you just line up the talent on both sides of the ball. I think this year the biggest thing with Ohio State is they've just got so many athletes uh, when you talk about the playmakers they have on offense and the guys that they have on defense, uh, defensive line, back seven, they're just absolutely loaded. That's a product of, you know, Urban Meyer's recruiting, and he's really surrounded himself with a great staff. You talk about a rising star coach like Ryan Day who turned down multiple offers in the offseason, one of which was an SEC head coaching job. You talk, you talk about Greg Schiano, who Rutgers fans don't really need much of a uh, introduction on him. And you talk about guys like Kevin Wilson, a former head coach, Larry Johnson, the defensive line coach who's been around forever, Billy Davis, a linebacker's coach who has defensive coordinator experience and is a longtime NFL veteran coach. They're, they just have the leaders in place on his staff to keep things afloat, and they have the talent on the field to do what they went out and did against Oregon State last weekend. So what's it like on game day, I guess? You know, Ryan Day, obviously the interim head coach, but Greg Shiano's running the defense. Kevin Wilson's got the offense. Is they just kind of leaving the defense to Shiano and the offense to Wilson, or is he having input uh, like input on both? What's kind of the dynamic between the three of them? It's interesting because Urban Meyer is actually, with the terms of his suspension, he's suspended for three games, and he was suspended throughout last week uh, into the weekend. He returned to the football facilities on Monday, September 3rd. He can be with the team and run them through practice. It's pretty much Urban Meyer's team from Monday up until Friday, middle of the day. Once Friday at 3.30 p.m. hits, it's that 24-hour window to game time on Saturday at 3.30 p.m., and he can't be around the team. He can't be in the stadium uh, on game day, and he'll, he'll kind of hand the team over to Ryan Day uh, and and Greg Schiano and, and Kevin Wilson and the rest of the staff to lead them through the, through the game. Now, in terms of you know who's running the offense and who's running the defense, it is really a split between Ryan Day and Greg Schiano. Ryan Day handling the offensive duties and Schiano handling the defensive duties. The way that practice has really been run, uh, from what I've been told, is that you know they're they're really split between the two. Schiano is is kind of a head coach to a degree goes position to position on defense, somewhat on offense as well to some of the offensive players. And Ryan Day is really, you know, kind of spread out among the offense, but also uh, been filling in for, you know, Urban Meyer in multiple roles. Uh, The way that it works on offense is Ryan Day actually got promoted in the offseason to coordinator uh, and got a pay bump to a million dollars a year. So he's really had the play-calling duties uh, over Kevin Wilson. Kevin Wilson still has collaboration from the booth, but um, in the time that Urban Meyer is suspended the first three games, Ryan Day's been down on the sidelines in that acting head coach role, but also has been ultimately calling the plays down from the sidelines. So let's look at the players on this team now, specifically the offense, right? Dwayne Haskins, looking at last game, 22 for 30, 313 yards, five touchdowns, a pick. Mike Weber, 186 yards, three touchdowns. How good is this Ohio State offense? You know, I watched some of the game against Oregon State, and and they looked unstoppable. You know, you obviously won't put up uh, every week 77 points, but this offense really looked like it could do whatever it wanted. The the thing is they have the personnel that fits the scheme that they kind of began to run under uh, under acting head coach Ryan Day, who's in his second year uh, as a co-coordinator and quarterback's coach. Uh, he's had a whole year to develop Dwayne Haskins to his liking, uh, and he brings a lot of pro-style influence to Urban Meyer's power spread. 
which mostly has drawn comparisons back to 2014 uh, and 2015 when, when the Buckeyes had uh, Cardell Jones running the show. Similar skill sets, except Dwayne is just light years ahead of where Cardell was in terms of comparing the two as, as Cardell was raw, big armed. Dwayne has such a better grasp of the offense. He has pinpoint accuracy. He's able to run Ryan Day's offense to the way that they want him to. You see a lot of differences in the offense between last year with JT Barrett running the show uh, to Dwayne Haskins now in the sense that when when JT Barrett was here, he struggled with arm strength and accuracy mainly and was a run-first quarterback. They had a lot of designed runs for him in addition to the uh, to the RPO element of the offense. Dwayne Haskins on Saturday, there wasn't one single designed run called for the quarterback. He rushed twice for 24 yards, a couple scrambles. He has the option on some of the zone reads to tuck it and run, and you know they feel comfortable with him doing so. But he's been open about it that you know he's not a run-first quarterback. That's not his game. And when he has time to sit back in the pocket and throw the way that he did Saturday against Oregon State, their, their receivers' rotation is just so deep. You're talking about eight to ten guys that could be starting, kind of running in and out and keeping legs fresh. And then you talk about, you know, the two running backs that they have, J.K. Dobbins and Mike Weber. J.K. Dobbins was the guy last year because because Weber sat out for most of the season with a hamstring injury that he suffered in the offseason. This year he's at 100% health, and you saw it on Saturday against Oregon State. So they have a two-headed uh, monster, so to speak, at running back, and then you've just got a receiver's rotation that is double-digit guys deep, an offensive line that is versatile and athletic, despite veteran guys in new roles, uh, along the offensive line, and it's kind of a perfect storm with Dwayne at quarterback and Ryan Day uh, kind of growing an influence on the offense. Defensively now, the team had five sacks, I believe, it forced a couple turnovers, but look, they still gave up 31 points. Most notably, they were they were hit with the big play on the ground on two of the touchdowns. Is this something the Buckeyes are worried about? Is this something Greg Schiano is worried about? You know, the inability at times to stop the big play in the game. Ha- have Day and Schiano kind of addressed that, and what have they said about what transpired against Oregon State? That was, that was a big point of emphasis going into this week, obviously because of the two couple of plays that you mentioned. Uh, in the second half, I mean, in the first half, Ohio State pretty much held, handled Oregon State uh, with its, you know, with guys like Nick Bosa and Chase Young and Jonathan Cooper and Draymond Jones rotating in and out on the, on the defensive line. Uh, they kind of took a step back, and not that, that's not to really say, you know, they pulled their starters in the second half because they didn't. Uh, they just didn't play Nick Bosa and, and those guys, the, the kind of first-team defensive line that they usually put out there. They dominated the first half because of those guys, even though they had a few, you know, big, they had a couple big plays given up in the first half. The one thing that Greg Schiano said on Monday that really resonated was that you look at the total yards that Oregon State put up, 82% of that total yardage, I think it was, it was well over 300 yards. Uh, I think it might have been 362 around there. 82% of that production came on seven plays, mainly three touchdowns, uh, the two big runs by Artavis Pierce, the running back, uh, 80 yards and 78 yards respectively, and the first touchdown of the day that came on a 49-yard touchdown pass. So, you know, those big plays they definitely have to limit uh, going into Rutgers. I don't know if Rutgers really has the athletes to kind of uh, produce similar results, but I didn't think that going into Oregon State either. I think a big part of it is you look at Ohio State's back seven, Jordan Fuller, who is a team captain and second-year starter at uh, free safety, 
he was held out with a hamstring issue. It was a game-time decision. They haven't really clarified whether or not he'll be available Saturday against Rutgers. I, if you ask me today on Tuesday as we're recording this, I'd probably tell you they don't play him just because they're saving him for you know the next week at TCU against TCU down in Arlington, Texas. But um, you look at that kind of position in the back end with Jordan Fuller sitting out, you have two first-year starters uh, thrown into the mix with Justin Wint and uh, Isaiah Pryor, both sophomores. And you look at the linebackers who are fairly inexperienced with the exception of uh, junior Malik Harrison at the Sam position. You have Tuff Borland coming off of an Achilles injury uh, that he suffered in the spring, but somehow was still ready to play uh, by the time the season started, although he didn't start. you got Baron Browning, a sophomore, filling in for him at middle linebacker. So you have new guys in that back seven, and they were exposed on a, on a few of those plays against Oregon State. It's definitely been a point of emphasis going into this week, though. And you mentioned two guys that were going to come in my next question, Jordan Fuller and Tuff Borland. You know, Fuller obviously didn't play. I think Borland played a little bit against Oregon State. For next week, you said it. You don't think Fuller's going to play. Do you think Borland is going to, I guess, get a little more action than he got against Oregon State? What do you think the prognosis is for both of them? Yeah, so I think, like I said before, I think Fuller, if you ask me today, they'll probably hold him out just because, you know, a hamstring injury can be a recurring recurring injury throughout the season. I don't think that they want that to linger. Uh, I think that they feel good enough about uh, Isaiah Pryor, who was probably going to start at strong safety next to Fuller. So they'll have him in with Justin Wint again, if you ask me today. You know, they just have to be better. They haven't had as much game experience as a guy like Jordan Fuller did, and it's no excuse they'll have to improve. But if you ask me today, like I said, don't think that they'll go with Fuller just because of, you know, the type of injury that he sustained and the fact that it could be a recurring thing. Uh, With a guy like Borland, it's really amazing that he was ready to go for that game. He suffered a Achilles injury in March. It's believed that he's had surgery on that. He said he was 100% ready to go all week last week. And Ohio State has been cautious with him as well just because of the nature of that injury. Shiano said on Monday that they had him on a quote-unquote 10-play pitch count. So it seems like they want to work him up a little bit. Maybe he'll reach over 10, maybe not. But I definitely don't think he's going to start week two. I think he's in the same boat as Fuller right now where um, they want to have him at 100% ready to go uh, you know, in a top 15, top 25 matchup the next week uh, against TCU. Greg Schiano is going to have to deal with a familiar face on the Rutgers sideline and John McNulty, the new offensive coordinator. They're, they're friends. They've worked together, McNulty, under Schiano, obviously at Rutgers and with Tampa Bay. Do you see Schiano changing anything up or twisting his defensive game plan in any way, considering he and McNulty know each other so well? He did say on Monday that he might have to change the on-field calls and some aspects of the scheme just in terms of the actual uh, game managing, uh, just because the language and things of that nature. McNulty's been around him for so long, like you mentioned, 2007 and 2008 as the offensive coordinator at Rutgers, years before that as the wide receivers coach at Rutgers, and then followed him to Tampa Bay years later. So he's been around him for a long time. I do think it kind of goes both ways, though, um, in the sense that you know, McNulty might have to switch some things up as well, as much as Shiano might have to. But I think it plays to a degree a role in, you know, the offensive versus defensive matchup in terms of a scheme and game management perspective. But like it's, it's like Shiano mentioned um, afterward on Monday in that 
uh, Ryan Day followed up to, uh, Tuesday on the Big Ten t- teleconference is that, I mean, sure, there are those uh, ties between the two, and they definitely are familiar with each other. But, I mean, at the end of the day, it comes down to player execution on the field. And uh, let's be honest, the, the, the players on both sides of the ball uh, aren't, you know, it's not what Rutgers had 10 years ago when both of these guys were, were um, on, on staff at Rutgers. So uh, I think it plays a slight role in terms of the actual game management to a degree. But at the end of the day, the execution does come down to the players, like Ryan Day said. Now, Garrett, one more before we let you go. You know, look, J.K. Dobbins last year for Ohio State, true freshman, really broke out. You know, you mentioned Mike Weber. He was hurt for a lot of the year. That helped J.K. Dobbins break out. Are there any names on Ohio State that, you know, are this year's, I guess, J.K. Dobbins? Any guys on Ohio State that, you know, are really going to take a next step or, or become that breakout star that, you know, Rutgers fans might not necessarily be so familiar with because they maybe they weren't on the team last year or they didn't get as much playing time last year as compared to this year? Who would those guys be? Yeah, so I think if anything, it would probably have to come in that deep receivers rotation. You had guys last year. There's a lot of seniors on, on in that rotation, uh, three of which are captains with uh, Paris Campbell, Johnny Dixon, and Terry McLaurin uh, as, as a trio of returning starters. But you also have a, a couple of guys in that rotation with different skill sets that bring a lot of versatility and options uh, to their rotation when they're, when they're up and going and keeping guys fresh. You've got guys. You've got guys like sophomore H-back Demario McCall who didn't really play too much of a role uh, or uh, Saturday against Oregon State, but uh, could definitely emerge. He, he's played a little bit against Rutgers in the past two years uh, in mop-up action. He was held out most of last year uh, with, a, with a lingering hernia uh, injury, but he, he obtained a red shirt and comes into this year with you know three years of eligibility left as a sophomore. And then you also have two guys on the outside who you know I really like Benjamin Victor, who's a junior, and then also Austin Mack, who's a junior. They bring different skill sets. Uh, Victor has a six-four, six-five uh, red zone threat with big hands, big frame, and just Austin Mack is a guy who's you know an all-around uh, you know possession receiver. Uh, runs solid routes, is crisp in and out of out of his breaks. He's actually roommates with Dwayne Haskins. Had the uh, famous uh, reception last year. Uh, when Haskins came into uh, Ohio State's game against Michigan and was trailing, uh, converted a deep third and 13 conversion late in the second half to eventually lead Ohio State back from a six-point deficit. So you've got those two guys in particular that I really like. And then, I mean, it really goes on after that. There's a lot of different receivers in that rotation bringing different skill sets to the table that, you know, it'll be interesting to see how they get utilized in the offense as, as the season goes on because, I mean, even though even though Ohio State put up 77 points and over 700 total yards against Oregon State Saturday, there's so many different guys that you really didn't get to see as much. So we'll, we'll see going into Rutgers and, and games beyond that. You can follow him on Twitter at Garrett Stebian, and you could read him at BuckeyeSports.com. Garrett, thank you so much for coming on the On the Banks podcast, and I'm, I'm sure you're looking forward uh, to your alma mater coming and visiting the Horseshoe, and uh, I'm sure, look, for us Rutgers fans, at least, we hope it's a much better outcome than it has been previous years, but only time will tell in the game on Saturday. But thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me on, Lance. Time to make some bets. Here's your host, Lance Glenn. With sports betting rapidly growing in the country and now being legal here in New Jersey, among other states, there will be a new guest joining me this week and every week of the football season. Poker Pro and On the Banks contributor TJ Yurkevich will be joining me weekly to talk about how you should bet the Rutgers game that week. 
Now I am pleased to be joined by the man, TJ Yurkevich. TJ, thanks so much for coming on. No problem, Lance. I just wanted to preface this actually by saying that uh, this segment will be my best attempt at being an unbiased uh, participant. <laughs> like, uh, uh, on game day, I will be... I will truly believe that we have a chance to beat each and every opponent in front of us. But uh, up until then, and going through, you know, wagering circumstances, uh, I'm going to be as unbiased as possible. Take that, you know, non-biased attitude, and let's jump right into it. You know, Rutgers, a 33-point underdog, heading to Columbus on Saturday. Just what are your general thoughts on that line when it came out? Uh, quite honestly, I expected it to open around 37. So this was pretty shocking to me that it opened so low. Uh, as of right now, I can see that it is uh, 35, up as high as 36 at some places. Yeah, I, I honestly expect it to be 37 and close closer to 40. I would say that 33 is entirely too low given the uh, situation between these two teams over the past four years. When the uh, In Columbus, the average score is Ohio State 57, Rutgers 8.5, so a 48.5 point margin of victory for the Buckeyes uh, in Columbus. A big factor in all of Ohio State's lines for the, at least the first three games of the season is Urban Meyer's suspension. You know, how does his suspension, I guess, play a role in, in Ohio State's line sus, uh, thus far and, I guess, in their line this week against Rutgers? The thing about Urban Meyer's suspension that I don't think the, the wide general public uh, is grasping here is the fact that he can he can still practice with the team, coach the team all throughout the entire week during practice, all the way up until the actual game where he has his uh, – he's, he's basically the puppet master for the, the coaches on the sideline. And, you know, you and I and mostly everyone know Urban Meyer is not the, uh, the picture of morality. So I, I wouldn't doubt if the guy was texting equipment managers or had some other way. Maybe he's Bobby Valentining and has a mustache on the <laughs> sideline. There's, he, will ha he will be involved on game day. I can promise you that. So – I think I think the uh, the line is a little skewed based on his suspension, but people don't realize that he is there all during the week during practice, and he will have an influence on game day. And finally, you know, for people who are not sure where to put their money ultimately, what bet would you make on this Saturday's game? I would have slam dunk taken the uh, giving the thirty three points as Ohio uh, taking Ohio State uh, right now, hovering around thirty five. I would still take uh, minus thirty five. Once you start crossing over 35, you get into that dangerous uh, over five touchdown territory. Honestly, if I had to bet on this game, I would take anything under Ohio State minus 38. After you know, after seeing what Art Sitkowski did last week as a true freshman, you know, I'm very encouraged by what he was doing, uh, how he threw uh, threw the ball. But there were some mistakes in that, you know, when the play starts out. He would. He, he had an inability to look off defenders, and he would lock onto his primary targets. I think unless he improves leaps and bounds this week in practice, which you know is very very difficult to do. Uh, I really I see Ohio State defense. Greg Schiano's Ohio State defense just uh, eating him alive with those mistakes because Texas State actually could have had a few more interceptions. So he he's going to have a very difficult time first start on the road being in the horseshoe. It, uh, you know. I think the smart money is taking Ohio State here, and uh, I see a final score of about 49-10, 49-13. TJ believes take Ohio State in this one. TJ Yurkevich, thanks so much for coming on, and we look forward to your picks next week when Rutgers is once again on the road to play Kansas. Thank you so much for coming on. No problem, Lance. Looking forward to it. Follow SB Nation on Twitter at 
OTB underscore SB Nation, and you can find out when our next podcast is debuting.